You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I want you to open your Bible. Open your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. This week, somebody said to me, Trent, in your wildest imagination, could you have imagined nine years ago when you planted this church with 13 other people that it would have grown to what it is? And quite honestly, and very humbly, I said, well, as a matter of fact, this is kind of what I did imagine, that God would give life, health, and growth to his church. And there wouldn't be any man-made manipulation or manufacturing or marketing that would cause it to happen. But it would just simply be a supernatural work of God. And so if you're a part of this church, then you are a part of what God is doing supernaturally to build his church. I always use the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's to preach a message that I simply entitle Reset. Reset 2018 is this, week, this year's title, uh, as you can imagine. And uh, I love the, the re-words in Scripture. Have you noticed how many re-words there are? Repent, uh, refresh. And so there's a lot of things that you can do to actually capitalize on this time of year. I have children that bring me their technology, and when they've exhausted their mental capacity to try to fix their technology, they bring it to dad because they know that dad has a 1980s technology degree. <laughs> and so using all of my mental capacity, I always ask them the same question. Did you turn it off and turn it back on? How many of you, you, you didn't need a technology degree to figure that one out? And so what you got to do is the reset. And sometimes that doesn't actually help. You actually have to do the factory reset and get it back to the manufacturer's original settings because you've messed with all the default settings in there and changed it to how it doesn't work anymore. So this is a great time of year for us as a church to hit the reset and go back to some things that we have talked about over and over and over. If I do my job right and you do your job right, you're not going to hear anything new this morning. You are going to hear some of the most often repeated phrases about what our church is all about. I want to describe our church in five uh, statements. And these are the answer to the question, why is God growing his church? What, what is it about this place that makes that kind of stuff happen? How can you be $80,000 behind in the budget and then I show up at next week and we're, we're $38,000 ahead in the budget? How does that happen without a whole lot being said about that? So we're going to look at some of those things. And before we look at those five things, I want you to see here in Scripture uh, a word that the Apostle Paul sent back to an ancient church that he had planted he wanted to make sure they didn't slide off into a ditch. Can I just get a testimony? Has anybody slid off into a ditch in the last seven days? Just raise your hands, humble yourself. Maybe somebody knocked you into the ditch. And so we want to prevent that from happening here. Now, we're going to see in this scripture two different ditches. There's a ditch on each side. We as a church don't want to land in either ditch. So Paul, writing back to this ancient church in Colossians chapter 2, says this. In verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you. In other words, let no one knock you into a ditch. Don't get off center. Now, this was a church. It was a great church. They were right. They were a gospel centered church. 
But he's like, let no one take you off course. And that's what God wants to say to our church. If God's been blessing the things that we've been doing, let's make sure we keep doing those things. Let's don't slide off in a ditch. Don't let anybody wreck you. Now, before I go on, I do need to make a confession. After church last weekend, I packed my family in the car and we drove to Midway Airport in Chicago and we got on a plane and we flew south. I've spent the last six days in 75 degree weather, palm trees over the top of me, drinking Arnold Palmer's and my children started complaining at the end of the week that they had a sunburn. Is there anybody here today that feels sorry or has any sympathy at all for my children who have any sunburn? No sympathy for the Griffith children with sunburn? Okay, we, were, we just had a wonderful time and, and we'd never done this around Christmas time before, but we kind of saw it. This might be the last time that the original four Griffith children are with the original Griffith parents because there's this creepy guy named David that's come and stolen my daughter's heart and she's getting married in June. And so we're like, this is the last time that we all can get together and enjoy a family vacation. So we went down there and, and we, we sat by the pool and we went to the beach and we ate ice cream and, and we had, we just, we just did nothing. There was no stress. And one of the, the highlights of the week was every morning we would get up and we would go for a very leisure leisurely bike ride. There were these nice paths. And so we all got the family on the bicycles and we pedaled our way. And I was just so happy. And I was reminiscent on how proud I was of my ch children. And, and I was in the back of the pack as we were riding these bicycles. And I noticed my daughter, Brooke, there. And she's just looking so beautiful. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm happy and I'm sad at the same time. This is probably the last time. And I'm feeling kind of playful about it. And, and Brooke, she, she pulls out her cell phone and she wants to capture this moment on social media. And so she pulls the phone out and this is what she recorded. I was just being playful and I just wanted to let her know, hey, I love you and I'm here, you know, and not going to get this chance anymore. So I just kind of, I wanted to bring my tire up and just kind of hit her tire, you know, and I went a little too far and, and the spokes of my front tire actually grabbed her pedal and her foot that was in a flip flop and I, I think I broke her toe. So um, I just say all that to say, don't let that happen to you as a dad and don't let that happen to this church. Don't wreck the church. Things are going great. We're, we have unity, we have love, we have financial stu stewardship and there are great things happening. But there are two things that will disqualify us and we see them in this passage. Look at verse 18 again. Let no one disqualify you, let no one wreck you. Don't slide off into the first ditch. Here's the first ditch insisting on asceticism. You know what asceticism is? Asceticism is extreme self-discipline or extreme self-denial. And so he's saying, wait, 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 wait. With all of the emphasis on holiness that we believe and we love, let's make sure that we are not trying to gain God's favor by rule keeping. The first ditch you slide into as a church, 
especially a church that preaches the Bible boldly, unapologetically, you can easily slide into moralism and somehow think that because you didn't eat ice cream this week, you're more spiritual than those of us that did. Because you didn't go to Florida, you stayed here and froze and read your Bible, that you're more spiritual than the Griffith children. That's not my point. What I'm saying is, is that somehow strictly obeying everything in the Bible and, and even adding stuff to the Bible, that is the first ditch we could slide into. We aren't better than anybody else. We need Jesus to save us as much today as we ever did. And our job is to make sure that we are leaning on God's grace and from his grace, it's fueling our obedience. We don't gain God's favor by moralism. We are moral because God has given us his favor. So let's not slide into the first ditch of asceticism or moralism. What's the second ditch? He describes it this way. Worship of angels. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Wait, 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 wait. Who exclusively is the object of our worship? Jesus is the object of worship. Angels, good thing, bad thing. Good thing. But angels aren't a God thing. And if you turn a good thing into a God thing, you are worshiping an idol and now you've slidden into the ditch of mysticism. Worshiping angels, he goes on and describes it as going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensual mind and not holding fast to the head. So he mentions these visions and dreams and, and have you ever met somebody that was a a little bit intimidating to you because, quote unquote, God told them something that he hadn't told you. And they had this vision or this dream or this revelation. And somehow it, it came across like they had something special going on with God that the rest of us didn't. You know what that is? That's mysticism. Now, does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Absolutely. He still, he still speaks today. But the further you drift from the objective written word of God, the less certain you can be that God has spoken to you. And so often churches drift from the objective written word of God into mysticism and get caught up on all kinds of secondary issues. By God's grace, not harvest. We're not going to slide into the ditch of moralism and we're not going to slide into the ditch of mysticism. Here's what we're going to do. From the whole body, nourished and knit together. So we're fed by God's word and we're knit together by the love that we have for one another, nourished and knit together through all of its joints and ligaments. And here's what it does. It grows. It grows with a growth that is from God. So by God's grace, as we keep doing what God has called us to do and being the church God has called us to be, we will continue to grow. You heard earlier, the, the elders announced, I don't know, did you catch that? Last weekend, we had 2,200 people come through the doors of harvest. That's why you had a hard time finding a parking spot last week. And you're probably like, where are all these people coming from? Who invited them? I can't, I can't park where I want to park. I can't sit where I want to sit. Listen, if that's your attitude, we need your seat. 
Okay? So, you know, there, there are other churches that probably have plenty of seats available. I, I think the Lord is just getting started. And it could be that we meet 365 days from now and we hear that there were 3,200 people that walked through the doors of harvest. And you ask, where are we going to put them? See, these are the kinds of discussions the elders have. And it's, we've never spent a second in elder meeting trying to figure out how to get more people here. Not, never. We spend a lot of time talking about what to do with them now that they are here. How do you care for these people? How do you nurture these people? How do you disciple these people? How do we make space for more people that want to come? These are questions that we have to ask as elders. So why has God blessed Harvest with a growth that is a growth from God? I think it's because of these five things. Number one, Harvest is a biblical church. Harvest is a biblical church. Here's one of our foundational verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. At Harvest, we believe that God's word is inspired. That means breathed out by God, that the words of scripture are the words of God. God wrote a book and men recorded it and we put it in our hands and now we can hear from God because he has chosen to disclose his will and his ways by speaking to us. In the same way that there is breath coming through my lungs, over my vocal cords, my lips and my tongue and my teeth are forming words that are communicable to you. We believe God has breathed out words that are inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient. Everything we need to know about salvation, everything we need to know about God in order to have a relationship with Him is found in this book. And so we are a church that reads the Bible. Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do, Tell me the last time you opened your Bible was not seven days ago when I said open your Bible. Please tell me that. We read the Bible. This is a great time of year. Here we are going into the new year. It's a great time to find one of those Bible reading plans. You can, find, you can download an app on your phone. You can find it online. You can just kind of stay on track getting your face in the Bible. A biblical church reads the Bible. A biblical church preaches the Bible every week. You hear me essentially preach the same sermon, don't you? It all starts with the same three words. What are the first three words of every sermon? Open your Bible. What are the last three words of every sermon? And everything in between can be summed up in one word. That word is repent, right? So open your Bible, repent. You are loved. And we have to tell your love because sometimes you think that because I tell you to repent, I don't love you. The reason I tell you to repent is because I do love you. I love you too much to let you live a life outside of the will of God. So repent, bring your life back under the authority of the word of God. Because we are a biblical church that reads the Bible, we preach the Bible, we sing the Bible. Have you noticed the lyrics that we choose around here. We're not singing Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber stuff around here, okay? The stuff we're singing helps us get our minds vertically focused on the attributes of God. And when we are singing, it should be an eruption 
of our worship to God. Can I pull the curtain back a little bit on Mike? Micah? Micah's leading worship this morning at Harvest Bible Chapel in Pittsburgh. And he's there with his family celebrating the, the holidays. But uh, sometimes Micah gets frustrated. Now, now, the reason he gets frustrated is because he has a heart of worship. And he cannot comprehend people that would come to a building in a gathering church like this where you've got worshipers all around you and somehow you are passively letting other people worship for you. Okay. And I have to put my arm around them. I'm like, it's going to be okay. They're all in process. They're growing. You just keep modeling and they'll get it. That's what I say to Micah. Here's what I say to you. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> God has sent us someone like Micah to lead us in worship. He's given us songs that are so vertical. Do you understand that what we do in the first 30 minutes of the sermon is not a warm up for the preaching? The preaching's the warm-up for next week's worship. And so this is a time to erupt. You don't come to church to get something. You come to church to give your worship because you are part of a biblical church that reads the Bible, preaches the Bible, sings the Bible, and prays the Bible. I got so much feedback from that message that I preached to you, how to simply pray the Bible. Because too often we pray the same old thing about the same old thing about the same old thing. We get bored and we think, ah, God, you, the Bible says you never forget. So you know what I prayed and I'm going to say the same thing. So just remember what I prayed. And then you stop simply praying. But when you take a passage of scripture and you wrap your concern or your need around God's word and then verbalize it back to God, it releases a power in your prayer and you are energized because you're not praying the same old thing about the same old thing about the same old thing. So we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we obey the Bible. We're not here to get information. We are here to be transformed. We're about biblical transformation. So this is what we say. Harvest is a biblical church, and because Harvest is a biblical church, we believe the Bible has the right to define what we believe and to determine how we behave about everything. We're not interested in anybody's opinion or what's popular in culture. We just want to know what God said about it. And whatever God said, that's what we believe. And we're going to let that define and determine how we behave. One of our elders that we've had this past year, this is actually his last day as an elder, is Matt Helmkamp. And uh, the reason this is his last day is because Matt has served faithfully two three-year terms. And that's our condition. After two three-year terms, you have to rotate off for a year. So this is, this is Matt's last day as an elder. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was having lunch with him, and we came out of the restaurant, and we kind of continued our conversation on the parking lot. We were just getting updated on our families and marriage and, and our wives. And, and somehow this, this other guy that must have overheard us in the restaurant, he came out into the parking lot as we were finishing our conversation. And, and I noticed he intentionally walked like right in between Matt and I and then turned around and injected himself into the conversation. I'm like, okay, this is an extrovert. That's great. And, what, and so, so he started talking about marriage and he started talking about women in a very derogatory way. A complete different worldview. And as he's going on and on thinking that somehow we were connecting with what he was saying, 
Matt and I were kind of looking at each other like, can you believe this guy's so bold about what he's saying about these things? And it was kind of belligerent and belittling. And, and we wondered if he was going to take a breath. And so when he did, I took my shot. <laughs> he had no idea who he was talking to. But I said, you know, the worldview, the perspective that you have, it's very different than Matt's. I know Matt's family. He's only been married once. I think he's only going to be married once to the same woman the rest of his life. He's got four children. Those four children are growing up healthy and they're strong and they're, they're making impact now because of the faithfulness that's happened there. I have a wife, just one, going to just have one. I've got four biological children and, and three of those are girls and we've actually even adopted a kid into our family that kind of had a family like the one that you're describing. And so we're now trying to recover some of the things that he didn't have as he was growing up. And the reason all of that's happening is because Matt and I read the same book. We read this book. This book, it's called the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and family and women and parenting. And so I pulled out my card and I handed him my card. He looked at it, Harvest Bible Chapel on one side, turned it over, Pastor Trent Griffith. He's like, oh! It's like, yeah, he picked on the wrong guy to talk to about marriage and family. So anyway, I, I said, hey, I, I, and he said, he said, oh, you Christians, you Christians are the worst. You, you Christians are the, only, the ones that have ever hurt me and abused me. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't know how you're using the word Christian, but the Christians that I know, the 2000 people that came to church with us last week, they're authentic and real. And they really have given the Bible the right to define what we believe and to determine how we behave. And if you've never been in a church like that, I don't think you've ever been in a biblical church. That's who we are. And that's why God has given a growth that grows from God. Number two, we are a vertical church. We're a vertical church. What's our theme this year? Lift up your eyes. Does that sound like a vertical theme? It comes from Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. He says, lift up your eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we talked about this year how we need to get our eyes off of what's going on down here and all the terror and all the tragedy and all the politics. Get our eyes off of us. We need to get our eyes on the Lord because that's where our help comes from. It's a vertical focus. The first Bible verse I ever had our church open to on that very first Sunday on February the 8th, 2009, when I said, open your Bible, I sent us to this verse, Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You just heard a report about how there's people in the church. There's staff in the church. There's money in the church. There's vision in the church. None of that matters if there is no glory in the church. What is glory? Glory is God's self-disclosure. It's God's character on display. It's God's manifest presence. Is God everywhere present at the same time, yes or no? Yes. 
Yes. But is he here differently in this worship service than he is at Notre Dame Stadium on a fall afternoon? That's called the manifest presence. One of my favorite things to do as your pastor is lead Making Harvest My Home. It's our membership class. So it's people that have been coming for a few weeks or a few months or the skeptical ones a few years. And they finally gulp real hard and they say, okay, I'm going to commit to membership. And they come for three hours and we get to, I get to tell them everything about our church. And I always start that session by asking them this question. So why did you keep coming back? And I don't even ask them why they came. It really doesn't matter. But why did you keep coming back? Once you found out the way we preach, once you found out what our doctrine is, once you found out about how upset Micah gets about people that don't worship the way that he, why did you keep coming back? You know what the most often repeated answer is? God is here. I, I don't even know how to explain that. But, but I sense the Spirit of God Speaking, drawing, wooing, compelling, convicting. And I want to be where God is. Bam. You know what that testimony is? There's glory in the church. And that's what our desire is. We're a vertical church. We, we are not an educational institution. If you came here wanting to get more, more Bible knowledge, maybe you'll get some. That's not our purpose. We are not a theater we are not here to entertain you. If you like the music, if you like the excellence of the, the art and the, the lights, fantastic. That is not the reason we came here. We are not a grocery store. If you need physical needs met, we, we can maybe help you in some way. That's not the reason we exist. And we're not the dispenser of spiritual groceries either. You know, some people treat a church like they treat a grocery store. You know, once a week you got to go and you got to fill up your, your pantry and you got to get all the stuff you need, right? That's not the reason you come to church. You don't come to get. You come to connect with the presence of God while you're connecting in the presence of God's people. And so we're a vertical church. That means we're going to spend our lives for the purpose of glorifying God. To reflect the character, the nature, and the attributes of God. That's why we exist. The church doesn't exist for the community. And we hope that we're impacting the community. The church doesn't even exist for believers. We, we see it as our mission to make disciples, but that's not why we exist. The church exists for the glory of God. And as we obey God, and as we live out the character of God, it brings great glory to God. That's a vertical church. And we're a missional church. You heard earlier the elders keep mentioning this word or this phrase, ascending church. We want to be ascending church. That's, that's a new part of our vernacular. And it comes from what Jesus said in John chapter 4. We mentioned that lift up our eyes was the theme for the year. But it has a secondary aspect. It's not just lift up your eyes and see the Lord. Yes, do that. But once you see the Lord, you're going to see the work the Lord is doing in the world. 
and how you can join him on mission with God. Jesus said in John 4, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. We don't just gather, we gather so we can scatter. That means we have to get the gospel right. We have to get the gospel in and then we have to get the gospel out. There's a lot of organizations, parachurch organizations, and local churches that are committed to getting the gospel out. They're just not great at getting the gospel right. They shave off the rough edges. They don't want to talk about the fact that Jesus died on a cross, bloody, absorbing the wrath of the holiness of God, and that on the cross, Jesus absorbed my sin, took my place so that I could be forgiven, but only if I repent and believe and put myself under his lordship. And so people, don't try to get the gospel out until you get the gospel right. But a lot of churches spend a lot of time trying to get the gospel right. They never get the gospel out. We're not just here to adorn the gospel. We are here to distribute the good news of Jesus Christ. So we have to get the gospel right. We have to get the gospel in. What does the in mean? Some of you checked out for a few minutes when I said that because you thought what I was talking about in the gospel was for unbelievers. It is for unbelievers. But it's for believers who are tempted every day to stop believing. I have gospel amnesia. I forget the claims that the gospel has on my life. When I'm tempted to be selfish, I'm somehow forgetting that Jesus on that cross selflessly gave his life and laid his life down. And so now as a husband, I can't do that. If I remember the gospel, I have to lay down my life for my wife and for my family and crush my selfishness. That is something I have to believe the gospel 35 years after I first believed it. And so do you. So preach the gospel to yourself every day. And if you haven't yet believed the gospel, the pastors will be here at the end of the service would love for you to come into relationship with Christ as you receive this gracious gift through your repentance and your faith as you turn from sin and receive Christ. We're a missional church and we are a relational church. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 says this, If we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Have you noticed a theme in that verse? Three times it says everyone. You know what the desire of this church is? That everyone who attends this church matures in Christ. At the end of my life, the end of my ministry, I want to say to God, may I present to you the mature everyone's that I had a chance to minister to. So there's, a, there's one, there's a, there's a mature one, and there's a mature one. Some of you are making it really hard for me to present you mature in Christ. And do you know why? Because you are not putting yourself in the path of maturity. You're not putting yourself in the path of the way this church makes disciples. How do you do that? This, just a couple of verses later, it says this in Colossians chapter 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Do you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to encourage you 
That means to put courage in you where there is fear and apprehension and apathy. I'm trying to put courage in you and being knit together in love to reach the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So how do you do that? Can I just say to you, I can't do that. I get one shot at you for about 45 minutes every week. And I can't love you all. The reason I can't love you all is because I don't know you all. The most frustrating experience of my life is to have people that know every detail about my life because I just showed you my Christmas vacation and I don't know any of yours. And I can't because on the second Sunday we had 200 people show up. I can't know and love and care for every one of those. So how do you take a big church and keep encouraging and knitting people together in love? How do you do that? Small groups. And how do you disciple people in small groups? You don't disciple people when all of the chairs are in rows facing one person. You disciple people when the chairs are in a circle and we're all facing each other and encouraging one another and knowing one another and loving one another and caring for one another. And some of you are making it really hard for us to love you because you're making it hard for us to know you because you won't get in a small group. Let me just tell you, if you're not in a small group, don't want to be in a small group, this church is not going to be able to love you, know you, and care for you the way it wants to. And it only shows up when you have a crisis. Marriage is falling apart, you lost your job, you got cancer, and now you call the church and you say, I need a pastor. You know what our first question to you is? Are you in a small group? No. We'll get there as quick as we can, but man, just making it hard to love you and care for you because the people that are in small groups are loved, known, and cared for and they get cared for and we find out like three weeks later, yeah, did you know this person really had this need? Wow, they didn't call the church. They didn't need to. We got it covered in the small group. That's the way it works and that's how you take a big church and make it small so that everybody that comes to the church is loved, known, and cared for. And so if you don't feel loved, known, and cared for, and you're not in a small group, sorry, that's the way we love and know and care for you, is in the midst of a small group. And so if you are feeling like, hey, I'd like to be loved, known, and cared for, Pastor Nathan will be floating in the foyer, and he will be happy to hook you up and put you in a small group. Harvest is a relational church. That means that we will be about a quality of discipleship not a quantity of disciples. We are not against a large quantity of quality disciples. It's just the work we're going to give ourselves to is discipleship, presenting everyone mature in Christ. I've got one more for you, and it's this. Harvest is a simple church. Simple does not mean easy. As a matter of fact, the hardest thing our church staff does is make this church simple. Now, you say, well, what's a simple church? I'm so glad you asked. Next week, we're starting a four-week sermon series entitled Simply Church. You say, didn't you just have a sermon series called Simply Pray? Yeah, get it? Simply Church. We're turning church into a verb, and we're going to discover from God's Word what it means to be a part of a church that is growing 
with a growth that is from God. I want you to stand together right now and I'm going to pray for you. Just bow your heads right there. I want to thank you for coming. Some of you have been coming for a few weeks. Some of you have been coming for years. Every time we hear God's word, we have to respond either with belief or disbelief. What's God said to you through his word? What's your relationship to this church? What step do you need to take so that you can become not just somebody that benefits from this church, but actually contributes to it? Maybe you just simply need to pray for this church. Some of you need to get in a small group. Some of you are in a small group. You need to lead the small group. Some of you need to get caught up on your giving so that you can fund the disciple-making ministries that we have a vision for. Father, I want to pray for my friends that are here today. Some of them don't know the urgency that you are about in building your church. They don't really get excited when they hear the supernatural things that you've done to build your church. Lord, would you receive glory for all of those things? And I pray that you would draw people to your presence. Thank you for the glory that we've experienced. And I pray that in 2018, we would see more of it. Would you show us your glory? God, give us an appetite for that glory. Change us in the midst of your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing it together.